Park Three Minutes, where we'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. And today we're back after some technical difficulties to bring you Minute 16 of Jurassic Park 3. David, um, we did lose some recordings last week, so that's why we had to skip a week. But uh, because of that, we haven't got um, Black Friday to talk about. Instead, uh, Lego Jurassic World The Secret Exhibit aired last week on HBO, I think it was? Uh, For me, it was NBC. Okay. I think that changed changed a I bit think, across the country. Yeah, it's owned by Comcast and as is Universal. So. Ah, yep, yep. So, did you get a chance to see it? Yes, I did. I um I've only seen sort of some brief clips on YouTube, which are all, of course, out of out of sequence and that. But it looked it looked like fun and sort of reliving much what they'd done with the uh, Indominus Escape. Yeah, it was, it was actually, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I thought that it was a little kiddish, but it had some nice, fun twist endings there. That was, it made it fun. It was, enjoy, it was enjoyable to watch. Mm. Well, and that's that's the target audience, too. They're, they're selling these Lego sets to the kids. and Yeah, um, that is true. I, do, I did see some comments, people thinking this was maybe the pilot for a new Lego series, but they've never done that anywhere apart from a couple no. of the movies for Star Wars, so I don't I don't think we're going to get a TV series out of this. No, but it does, the ending does set it up for like a kind of, I'm not really sure what you, if you would call it like maybe a, um, like mini-series? Mm-hmm. If you will, like just like little hour specials that go on, that they would have. Well, that's what they do with other franchises, especially Star Wars, and they just have forty-five minute to an hour long, like mini mm-hmm. movies. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking, and they'll just repeat those. Hmm. Which will be interesting to see, and we'll um, definitely be looking at it when they come out in future. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to discuss before we get into today's minute? I think we uh, did that pretty well. Don't get too excited, Billy. Chances are we won't see a thing. Cooper, if you see anything, yell up! No, I I thought I'd keep it to myself! As we ended minute 15 of Jurassic Park 3, the Kirby's chartered aircraft was flying high above the Pacific Ocean, heading south towards Isla Sauna. As we open on minute 16, Billy's checking his camera equipment, and Alan teases why he can't buy a better bag. At the six second mark, Billy tells Alan that the bag's lucky, and that six years ago he was hang gliding with some friends in New Zealand, and an updraft slammed him into the cliffs, and the one strap saved his life. At the 31 second mark, Billy thanks Grant for inviting him along. Grant replies, yeah, well, the bones will still be there when we get back. It's the great thing about bones, they never run away. And the truth is, he got him into the situation, and there's no way Alan's going to deal with these people alone. At the 52 second mark, Alan tells Billy not to get too excited. Chances are they won't even see a thing. And as the minute ends, he reclines his chair and puts his hat on his head and says, your time to play nice. As we open on minute 16, um, Billy's checking his camera equipment and putting it back into what um, is described as a tattered bag, but it doesn't look that bad on screen. But uh, Grant looks at him and says... (laughs) Grant looks at him and says, even with what I pay you, couldn't you afford a better bag? 
Well, I mean, it's not like you said. It's not tattered at all. It almost it almost looks kind of kind of brand new in a way. It reminds me a bit. It uh, I was when he says tattered, you I kind of imagine um more Sarah Lucky Pack kind of thing, you know. Well, especially here, he replies, "No way, it's my lucky." Or this one's lucky. Um, yeah. Sort of bringing back those those memories of Sarah's lucky pack. And here we have Billy. He's got his own sort of lucky camera bag. Um, more so for the strap more than the bag that we'll get to in a minute. But it sort of goes back to the 90s, and even this is 2001, but even back to the Lost World with all the camera equipment. Nick was carrying around big duffel bag type camera camera bags because, mm-hmm. of course, back then everything was big and bulky. And sort of like nowadays you can get all this stuff that's sort of more compact and in backpack form and that. But he, uh, Billy goes into why it's lucky. A couple of years ago, some buddies and he were hang gliding off some cliffs in New Zealand, and a big updraft come up and swept him right into the side, and he goes wham. <laughs> and uh, Alan looks confused and says, "Yeah, that well, that does sound lucky." And he says, "It was this one strap alone that saved my life. It got hooked on a rock as he was falling." So again, it's not really the bag that's lucky, unless I don't, I don't know if you'd actually go. Um, what was he doing? Hang, hang gliding. I don't know if you'd go hang gliding with a big bulky bag like this wrapped around, or if it was just one of his harness straps that he's kept and is now mm-hmm. using it to carry his bag with. I imagine more the latter, just for that reason that you said that there really no reason he would be carrying around a large camera bag of this style, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Especially since it's got a heap of different lenses and that in there that we see here, which he has a lot of photo- a lot of equipment here for a student <laughs> or someone mm-hmm. in a dig site. And there's another thing is why would why would a paleontologist have all this camera equipment? You know. Mm. Yeah, well, we don't we don't see what happens between the di- the date or the dinner and them getting to the plane, so. Um, you'd assume they've gone back home and packed for the trip, but Grant's sort of wearing wearing similar clothes, and whether whether they went back to the university so they could get some equipment, Billy's just hit up the photography department and said, hey, I need to borrow some stuff, and you'll get first first rights at processing it, or, or something like that. I'm somewhat disinclined to believe that they actually went back to the university, if only because... Grant is out here wearing a Carhartt jacket, and I mean, I know we've seen Malcolm do it, but Grant just never seemed to be the type to wear a Carhartt jacket to a tropical island. Even if he didn't expect to get out of the plane, I mean, you know, Hmm. cabins aren't cold, you know? They really haven't been since the 40s. Grant looks out the window and says, reverse Darwinism, survival of the most idiotic. And, um... As he said, the plane sort of shudders and there's a bit of a pain look come his face across his face. We know from the script and the novel that he's been finding it hard to get comfortable in the plane with the tiny little seats and dressed the way he is too, he'd be sort of uncomfortable like that as well. Mm. Um, well, car hearts are really built more for warmth. They're not at all really built for comfort. <laughs> Their inner wall lining is really itchy, so... Yeah, that would definitely not help with you getting comfortable. Mm. Yep. But um, 
Billy thanks Alan for letting him come along, and Alan says, yeah, well, that's the... The older bones will still be there when we get back. That's the great thing about bones, they never run away. And he leans in close to Billy and says, the truth is, you got me into this, and I have no intention of being alone with these people. (laughs) (laughs) Which just sort of goes back to how uncomfortable he sort of is flying, um, and just not knowing the Kirby's at all either. But uh, Billy smiles and laughs, and Grant continues... Don't get excited, Billy. Chances are we won't even see a thing. And he leans back in his chair and says, your turn to be nice and um, wake me when we get there. And he reclines his chair and puts his hat over his face, which is um, very similar to what we've seen in other movies. Yeah. I kind of felt that Johnson really wasn't sure how to evoke a direct, like, Jurassic Park and The Lost World have a very tonally they were different, but they also remained consistent with each other in the way that they were this kind of high-tech uh, stuff getting lost and just kind of not really being useful in the middle of the jungle. And Jurassic Park 3 was really where we started abandoning that kind of notion. And Johnson, I'm, I just don't think he knew what to do with Jurassic Park, so he ended up trying his best to just mimic other Jurassic Park or other Spielberg movies in a way that he just creates a bunch of Spielberg tropes into this movie. Mm. Yeah, and here's one of the good ones where it's just straight up an Indiana Jones rip. Yeah. Yeah, this, um, the hat thing is something that uh, Indiana Jones does in Temple of Doom where he they're on an airplane and leans back and puts his hat over his face and takes a nap. Mm. And so you get that kind of repetition of that here in this scene. And, the, and this is not the first time that they kind of really put an emphasis on the brown fedora hat, which was always Indiana Jones' thing. He was... He, he was particular to that one hat, and he would always go back to the hat. And at the end of the movie, when I think it was the um, track, the soundtrack uh, line, it was the hat returns, and that's when, at the end, when Billy gives him his hat, and Billy tells him, I saved your hat, and Grant sarcastically replies, well, that's the important thing. Mm. But still, there was just never this... In the first Jurassic Park movie, there was never an emphasis on on Alan Grant ever missing his hat. And he even kind of just blows off his head and he leaves it there on the main road and it's never brought up again, you know? Yeah, well, it's, it's presumably still sitting in the middle of the road <laughs> with the Trenosaur yeah. paddock. Um, but that's sort of, and he's, and all that uh, at the end of the film, and we'll get there when we get there, is just sort of another another rip from Temple of Doom where Short Round sort of gives Indy his hat back. So it's definitely, yeah, definitely an Indiana Jones vibe vibe going here for a few of these scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as the minute ends, we cut to the front of the plane, we see Nash and Udesky up there piloting it. But uh, that's it for the movie minute itself. Briefly into some script and novel comparisons. Um, the only script difference is when... Um, Alan says he does want to be alone with these people. We get a quick shot of Paul and Amanda seated together at the front of the plane, both looking nervous and tense. And uh, in the novel, it pretty much goes along the same the same lines. So 
Anything else on minute 16 you want to discuss, Dave, before we get heavy for today? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or Heaven get me on that island. You desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.